Here's some coughing out there, some clearing the throats. I'm glad you came. <laughs> Middle of the week, it's always um, good to be recharged and be with God's people and be prayed for during the middle of the week. Tonight, let's take a look at Psalm 62 as we look at prayer in our Psalms. Psalm 62. Um, it's not a specific prayer in the psalm, but it's a reason for prayer. <laughs> One of the things that uh, life experiences, uh, things that we experience that will cause us to pray and look to God. I call it the righteous under attack. The righteous under attack. Have you ever felt under attack? Um, have you ever uh, been under attack of someone, of a powerful person? Maybe physically, uh, been physically attacked. Uh, you didn't grow up in anywhere if you hadn't at some point been in a fight or been in some kind of altercation in, in some kind of way. Uh, physically, we've gone through that. You know, nowadays, school wants to try and eliminate all those things from happening. And, yeah, nothing, um, certainly nothing wrong with eliminating those, but it's just not possible. As long as we live, that's part of life cycle. Uh, you're going to be under attack from something or someone at some point in your life, even if people just think you look funny and, 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 and laugh at you for the funny nose that you got or, or whatever it is. They, it, it, we, we sense some attack. But here, the psalmist is dealing with uh, more of a serious nature, attacks. And these kind of things um, drive him to prayer, and it drives him to acknowledge uh, who he's trusting in. Um, so I want you to look with me at this psalm. You know, how do you feel when you're under attack? He starts off, though, with, I was going to bring my board, but it's too late to do that now. Uh, I want you to picture in your mind, and, and we're going to look at some synonyms, uh, words that mean the same. Synonyms, especially in, in poetic literature like psalms, really kind of help highlight the different nuances of, of things that, that he's calling us to think about or reflect on. So there's a couple synonyms that we'll look at. One is a synonym for um, our state of mind. Uh, and as I start mentioning them, you'll see other words that, that bring out how it is a believer is to, uh, to think or to reflect uh, what kind of state of mind he should be in, he or she should be in, uh, especially when we're under. A so it starts off with that state of mind in verses 1 and 2, and then skip down to verses 5 through 7. It continues in that state of mind. So let's take a look at this state of mind. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Verse 5, for God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O oh people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Okay, in those verses, I want you to look at some synonyms for, let's start with the easy one first. Let's look at synonyms for God. Start in verse, 
2, 5, 6, 7, and 8, and look at synonyms for God. Verse 2, what do you see? Rock. Another one in verse 2. Salvation. Fortress. All right. How about verse 5? Hope. Okay. Hope. Verse 6, 7, and 8. Fortress, salvation, refuge, rock. Any other ones? Glory in verse 7. Mighty rock in verse 7. All right. And refuge repeated again in verse uh, 8. Now let's look at some synonyms for uh, our state of mind. Verse 1, verse 5, verse 7, and 8. And even in verse 10. Verse 1, state of mind. Um, what kind of, what, what state of mind should we have um, when we're under attack? Okay, wait in silence is one of them in verse 1. Uh, let's take a look at a few in any, oh, wait in silence. Verse 5, again, for God alone on my soul, wait in silence. He's telling his soul to do what? Be patient. Um, um, yeah, be, be patient, waiting for God to act. Uh, let's look at some other synonyms. I think they bring it out as well. Verse 7. Rest, rest. Verse 8, trust. What else in verse 8? Pour out your heart. Okay, we see that. Verse 10, we have some negative uh, or listed in a negative way, but they tell us what we ought to be doing. Let's just read verse 10. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. All right, um, in a negative way, where did I write that? There it is. In verse 10, we says, set no vain hope on robbery. Put no trust in extortion. Um, and so he, he's saying, also he says, um, set not your heart on them. So in a negative sense, he's saying, don't do this, but instead set your heart on God. Set your hope in God. Okay. So um, just some things to, to, to cause us to reflect on. Um, let's look at some words he, he uses in here in terms of what we feel like when we're under attack. Look at verse 3 and verse 4. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? All right, so we see those last phrases in there, a leaning wall and a tottering fence. What do you, what, what's pictured there? I'm about to fall down, right? You know, I think about kicking a man when he's down. Um, I put a fence up near the alley of my house, and um, so it's close to the edge of my uh, driveway where my driveway and alley meets and there's a corner there where people turn the corner and somebody came 
and hit the edge of that fence. Actually, they must have bumped my garbage cans into that fence, and they caused the fence to lean, right? And so I saw, like, oh, man, I messed up my fence. So what I did is I bent it back in shape, put it back straight, because what happens is somebody sees something junky or leaning, they want to tear it all the way down. Kids will come along and say, yeah, tear that down. <laughs> Just like if you have trash on your front yard, well, you're encouraging more people to throw more trash. It's already junky. We might as well you know, tear it up. It doesn't matter. Um, I think about kicking a person when they're down. It says, you know, I felt like they jumping on me like a, like a fence that's leaning. It says, like, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They, they keep picking on me, so to speak. Verse 3, they're targeting him. How long will you attack a man to batter him um, and, and going after him? They want to bring him down. Verse 4, they, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. So they target him. They want to bring him down from high, whatever high position he's at. And they're deceitful in their tact in their attack. Um, they say nice things with their mouth, but inwardly it says they curse. Um, we get that sense sometimes when, when, uh, when, when we're under attack. I don't know if you've ever gone to a job where things aren't going well, you kind of feel like people are talking about behind your back, and they don't, they, you know, they say you're doing okay, but they, you don't really sense that from, from them. You figure like, hey, you know, some cuts coming up. I might be on the chopping block, and uh, everybody wishes that I was. And, and uh, so you don't, you don't know what's going on. You don't really have a lot of confidence in, in what's being said to you publicly. You think something is going down. And th this is kind of the sense for, for um, this person. And the psalmist is just saying, this is kind of one of life experiences that I've gone through. And through this, I have learned to, to lean on the Lord. I've learned to trust in him. And so he, he walks through that in a couple of things. I want to just uh, close out looking at three verses or a couple of verses, looking at the lessons that he teaches in these verses. What should we learn from these kind of circumstances that we experience in our life? Verse 9 through 12. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. First lesson here, I call it lightweights. Those of low estate are like a breath. They're lightweights. Those of high estate are delusion. You know, they think they're something, but they're not. And the Lord says they're both lightweights to me. They're, they're, they're both lightweights. God said, I ain't really sweating it. It ain't no big deal for me to run across this situation. Um, they're both lightweights. Verse 10. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. Interesting that he will mention both of those things. Extortion is trying to get something um, uh, through, through your abuse of your power. Okay? Uh, that's what extortion is. Robbery is, we know what that is, just taking something that you don't have, something that doesn't belong to you. And he's really addressing two things, is that those who don't have power can be tempted to, to gain or to get something simply by stealing it. You know, you don't have money, so you want something, you go in the store, and you get what you want. You just take it, you, you, you steal. 
Um, but those who have money can, can use their own power. You know, I am somebody. I got a gold credit card. I just whip that out, and I get what I want. I have the power to bring about whatever change I want. And he's saying um, whether you, whichever situation you're in, um, that do you really have power? Do, do, is that the way that you want to go about it? And the warning in verse 10, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. Don't trust in your own ability or power or material possessions. And then the next two verses really highlight what we should be trust, trusting in. Verse 11 and 12. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. He's really going to emphasize it, isn't he? God said it once. God repeated it. So here's the truth. That power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you are rendered to a man according to his work. He's saying ultimate and real power belongs to God. How is that a comfort to us when we're under attack? It's because we're saying, no, it's not the person who seems powerful who can use abuse of power to get what he wants. They don't have power. It's not the one who feels powerless but through, uh, uh, through um, crime or, or unlawful means gets what he wants. The real power belongs to the Lord. And those of us who know the Lord need to trust in that. We think often that there's people with great power. If we can just get in their good side, we can get the things we need. God says, no, don't trust in that. We think I'll never get in the good graces of some person, so I have to connive and cheat and steal to get what I want. God says, no, don't go that route. Trust in me. I have the power to bring you, to deliver you uh, from any situation, from any circumstance. So he says, ultimate power belongs to the Lord. Know that, trust in his power, not your own. I think that's a good caution for us as we go to prayer. We pray for things that we need. We pray against different things that, uh, circumstances that we face, whether we see it as an attack of something or whether it's just the circumstances that we're in. We need to know understand and act on the fact that God is in control and it's not someone else that we need or someone else we need to, you know, to take, take the foot of all off our throat. It's God who's in control, who we ought to seek and, and, and we ought to trust in. So that's the first thing he says in, in that verse 11 and 12. Basically, trust in God's power, not your own. The second thing is this, for you will render to a man according to his work. God will render to each person according to their work. What does that mean? It's not a, this is not an anti-grace statement. What it says is God is going to judge each person, and he's going to judge them based on their act and what they do. In fact, he's saying God is actually going to do that. That's not a fairy tale. That's not make-believe. God is going to do that. What should that encourage us to do? It should encourage us to work or act accordingly. To work or act accordingly. No matter what circumstances that we're in, God is going to hold us accountable for what we do, how we respond, how we act in that. And so we need to act with that in mind. You can't just throw up your hands and say, well, God, you knew I was frustrated. 
You know, I was really mad. I was really ticked off, and that's why I did this. Now, God is going to reward each person according to their act. We're going to be held accountable for what we do, and what we do should show that we trust in God in our circumstances that we're in. So let's reflect on that psalm tonight, even as we pray. Good evening, saints. For our meditation, we're going to continue through the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we went over the Beatitudes. Today, I heard somebody at work just talking about how they like to meditate. And um, I didn't have a lot of faith in a method of, man of meditation. I think a lot of people think that they're going to find meditation in some Eastern religion doing something where they empty their minds. Um, but you got to wonder where your mind going if it's empty. And what will fill it? And even with that kind of meditation, they still get off. Sometimes when you meditate like that, you end up with more questions than when you started. When we meditate, we don't empty our minds, we fill our minds. The scripture says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean to be filled? We just get all revved up and start talking holy and start speaking old King James English. Well, I believe that what it means is if you really want to meditate, you got to do a little bit what we're doing now. I think you should start off with putting away your distracting thoughts. And that's what they have right and about the only part they have right. We should put away distracting thoughts. What is getting in the way of us listening to the word of God? Then we need to pray. Prayer is an important part of meditation. And I'll pray now, even as we talk. Dear Lord, help us to remove from our minds things that get in the way from hearing from you. Forgive us of our sins. Holy Spirit, you live in us. Please speak to us and interpret your word. And teach us all things that you promised that you would do. In Jesus Christ, you said you would be with us if there's two or three are gathered in your name, or there's way more than two or three here, Lord. So please show us your wisdom. In your name we pray, amen. Jesus said this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? Has the Holy Spirit taught you about that? What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Okay. The scripture does say the church is the pillar of the truth. What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? We're definitely going to be distinct, right? Going to be improving the earth. What does it mean then for to lose your saltiness? What is salt used for? A preservative? A seasoning? A, necess a necessity? There were, when people used to live in Egypt, they would trade their gold for salt because they needed salt. Salt is a preservative. It preserves water. Salt expands the taste of a flavor as long as you don't put too much in. If you put salt in a meat, it will make that meat taste more flavorful, right? So salt both preserves and makes distinct flavors. So then what does that say to a Christian? How are we to be like salt? Well, I think Aaron and Heidi gave good answers to that, is to make the world better. That is definitely one way. But I think one way we can do it is we should be distinct. There's nothing like salt. There ain't no other flavor like salt. You don't confuse sugar and salt. You don't confuse butter and salt. You don't confuse vinegar and salt. There's nothing like salt. Salt is distinct. People try to act like Christianity is like other things. Oh, yeah, you and Muslims worship the same God. We should make ourselves distinct. What does it mean to be the light of the world? Okay, that is true. That's right. What are the people in the world doing? They're stumbling in darkness. They don't know where they're going. They're meditating on nothing and hoping to find an answer out of that. And that's it. We got people who are literally out there finding peace by thinking about nothing. They're not trying to solve the problem. They're not trying to put their families back together. They're not trying to be better workers. No, they're thinking about nothing. And to tell you the truth, coming up with nothing. We have the whole scripture before us. The scripture says, you are able to make me more wise than the ancients through your word. That's a paraphrase of a verse in Psalm 119. The whole thought is this, that the light means a few things. Light means knowledge, right? The light goes on, right? People are walking in darkness. They don't know which way they're going. Light means direction. 
Light means hope. Light could mean healing. Light means knowledge and understanding. Where there's darkness, there's not understanding. But let me tell you something else light means. Light means meaning. If you take a painting and paint it all black, it's not a painting. It is light and the use of light <laughs> that gives an image its meaning. In other words, it don't matter what picture you take. If it's black, it's the same thing. It allows you to make distinctions between different things, right? Light naturally spreads. You set light somewhere, it won't just stay in that little corner. That's why Jesus said, you put the light somewhere high. You know, if we didn't put our light under our seats, we put it on the ceiling. And so we must be willing to be out there, right? We must will be willing to shine and show God's revelation to the whole world. Amen. Good evening, everybody. Today, let's have two people pray. Let's just keep our focus on just praying for our city leaders, that they um, just continue to um, be used by God, and that um, just God do his will through them. And I'll close this up. Lord, we just continue in prayer. We just lift up. Um, our city leaders, we lift up your leading them in the decisions they make. We know you have appointed each one of them for your purpose and to do your will in this city, Lord. And we ask that you um, continue to just order their steps if they follow you or not. We know you can influence them and influence their decisions, Lord. We ask that you just continue to um, uphold the righteous and uh, foil the steps of the wicked, Lord. And um, much of Brian said, just a lot of the wickedness that some of them stand on, Lord, that um, we just make it distasteful for your people so much and distasteful for this city, Lord, and um, that we just don't want to abide and sit side and see it happen anymore. We ask that you continue to just help um, <clears throat> bring to fruition your, your will for this city and what you would be having. And um, as Brian said, just create a revival in your people and in the city and just um, make apparent to them their need for you and that the absence of you is really what's leading some of the problems that we are facing today. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>